Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We have another week of winter behind us, and we're another week closer to spring. I'm Kerry Martin. So glad you've joined us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. We have the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the cotton business, the rise we have seen in prices is pretty exciting, but higher prices are not expected to translate into more cotton acres in the Texas High Plains. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Budget hearings continue in the state legislature on agriculture department and agri-life programs. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We now have a better picture of how winter storm Uri impacted farmers, ranchers, and dairymen here in Texas. Preliminary data from extension economists show Uri caused at least $600 million in agricultural losses. Citrus and vegetable growers and livestock producers were hardest hit. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Director Dr. Jeff Hyde. 230 million affecting the citrus crops, 228 million for livestock, and 150 million for vegetable crops. And we're still working to assess uh, the green industry, nursery and landscaping, and, and that one we expect to be hit pretty hard and to have long-term impact. Hyde says those numbers were gathered from extension personnel throughout Texas. That is based on our extension agents across the state reaching out to farmers and ranchers in their counties, assessing damage to facilities, equipment, animals, crops, you know, the, the farm operation. Um, they started that on Friday during the storm, and so um, we were still bitter cold, and they're reaching out through social media, emails, phone calls to begin to gather that data, and our agents continue to collect data but the $600 million estimate is expected to grow. That's an initial estimate, and I would consider that conservative in almost all cases because in some cases we've got to wait and see what the lingering impacts are going to be. So um, I, I can only imagine that number will get bigger as we learn more. Hyde says residual costs from the disaster could plague Texas agriculture for many years to come. Cotton prices are way up right now, but that may not cause an increase in Texas cotton acreage. James Hunt has more from the High Plains. Steve Barrett of Plains Cotton Growers says even with prices running about 20 cents a pound higher than a year ago, the outlook for the Texas High Plains calls for a slight decline in cotton acres this season. Why? Competition from other crops. The fact of the matter is the price increase is not just coming on cotton, it's coming on practically every commodity, from peanuts to corn to sorghum, and even some wheat acres. 
if they're able to carry them to harvest, would not be available for cotton planting. And an increasingly significant rival for cotton when it comes to acres is the production of silage for livestock. Nevertheless, for those who will plant cotton, prices look profitable and also seem to have potential staying power. We seem to be seeing some real demand coming back into this market right now. So we're hopeful that this price, while it may not stay at these levels, or it could go up, we don't see it going down significantly at this point. As to weather, getting good rains before planting time would be ideal, but if our dry spell ultimately encroaches upon crop insurance planting deadlines, Verrett says, It's not unusual for a dry land farmer to dry plant cotton. And typically we like to think that, you know, when we get into May and June, you're pretty much always assured of some kind of rain enough to get a crop up. Now, we've experienced some years, especially if you go back to the extreme in 2011, when it never rained, and we had like an abandonment of over 90% of the dry land acres. But on average, and typically speaking, uh, it's not unusual to drive plant cotton and expect to get it up and to grow at least an average or a little bit better than average crop. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Budget hearings continue in the state legislature. Tom Nicoletti has more. We go to Austin, and Texas Farm Bureau State Legislative Director Charlie Leal joins us, as he has during uh, the session uh, this year. And, uh, Charlie, the Texas Senate uh, Finance Committee and House Appropriations Subcommittee uh, continued budget hearings this week. Uh, let's focus on uh, what uh, was important uh, from an agricultural standpoint when it comes to funding uh, regarding uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture and the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. The filed version of the state budget bill included the elimination of the funding for the Boll Weevil Eradication Foundation. Um, during the during the hearing, it became clear that you know there was some confusion about the funding reserves within the program. As cotton producers know, the, the reserve funding is in place in case you know boll weevils become active in the eradicated areas of the state, or if, uh, like in the case of, of Hurricane Hannah and Harvey, cotton production assessment revenue is down in South Texas, and, and that funding, that reserve funding, is having to be shifted to that area of the state. So. The, the the budget the legislative budget board staff which drafts the filed version of the bill may have been confused when they saw those maintenance reserve funding uh, in, in that program and they identified it to be removed uh, during the the Senate hearings Senator Charles Perry and Senator Eddie Lucio and, and Senator Lois Colcourst uh, and on the House side, Representative Alex Dominguez and Representative Cecil Bell really went to bat for the programs and stressed the importance of retaining the uh, $8.7 million funding for, for the biennium for that program. Let's talk about the budget riders uh, regarding uh, feral hogs and uh, the toxicant uh, for that uh, issue across Texas. Yeah, the, you know, the elimination of those two budget riders uh, within TDA's budget and Texas A&M AgriLife budget were a big topic of discussion. Ag Commissioner Sid Miller and, and members of, the, of both of those committees had robust discussions uh, regarding the feral hog toxicant issue and, and seemed pretty receptive to looking at research done on the product as as well as proposed measures that TDA could implement uh, during the certifications process to ensure that that product could be used safely in, in the farm or ranch environment. And, and several ag groups provided testimony in support of the removal of, that, of those budget riders uh, that, that prohibit the certification and research of it. 
That is Texas Farm Bureau State Legislative Director Charlie Leal joining us from Austin. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas livestock producers are still counting up the losses from Winter Storm Uri. USDA's Gary Crawford reports. Deaths of all types of livestock, damage to poultry houses, astronomical heating costs if heat was available at all, those were just a few of the losses Texas livestock producers incurred due to that killer winter storm. And this week we have the first preliminary loss estimates for the Texas livestock sector, at least $228 million. Dr. Jeff Hydes with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, he told us the storm certainly did a number on the dairy industry. I think one of the key losses there was due to transportation issues. And so there was a real challenge here in the state while roads were poor for trucks to pick up and deliver milk for processing. And so there was an awful lot of milk dumped. At one point, Texas dairies were losing about $8 million of product every day. Right now, total ag losses in Texas stand at about $600 million. Jeff Hyde says that's just a quick first estimate, not even including the green and landscape sector. Meanwhile, our agents continue to collect data. So look for higher loss figures from Texas in the weeks to come. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The American Farm Bureau Federation says farmers are a part of the solution to climate change. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall gave testimony to the House Agriculture Committee Thursday during a hearing on climate change in the U.S. agriculture sector. Duvall told lawmakers farmers and ranches are already making an impact as agriculture accounts for just 10 percent of greenhouse gases emitted in the United States as agricultural productivity grows. Over the last two generations, we've been able to increase productivity 287 percent without using any more resources. Agriculture's achievements in sustainability have happened because farmers are are adopting new technologies and participating in voluntary incentive-based conservation programs. Duvall says U.S. farmers and ranchers enthusiastically embrace new technologies, and more research will further improve their impact on the environment. They've done everything from methane digesters on livestock farms to planting practices that result in less disruption of the soil. We are currently looking for partners to build on the achievements that we've already made. We're working with land-grant universities, policymakers, and other partners. At American Farm Bureau, we look forward to continuing to find solutions for the challenges of the future. AFBF co-founded the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance to provide recommendations to lawmakers considering new climate policies. The coalition is guided by three main principles. That first principle is to support voluntary market incentive-based policies. The second is to achieve science-based outcomes and then to promote the resilience of our rural communities and help their economies better adapt to changes that are coming with climate. We hope the work and the recommendations of the Alliance will ensure that our farmers and ranchers will be respected and supported as society pushes for climate-smart practices. Duvall adds farmers and ranchers are in a unique position to help. Farmers are the first conservationists. We know our land better than anyone else does, and we want to leave our land in better conditions than what we found it in. We've been entrusted with it, we care about it, and it's part of our lives each and every day. We want to protect the planet while we feed and clothe the people in our world, and we also want to promote our vibrant communities in rural America. Michael Clements, Washington. How did a deer with chronic wasting disease end up in Lubbock County? I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details on Texas Ag today. And calves leaving the ranch headed for a stocker operation can be just like kids leaving home for college. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, I have grazed thousands of stocker cattle over the years, and I have sent a lot of kids off to college, four to be exact. And it seems that those calves that leave the ranch headed for a stocker operation are just like kids leaving home for college. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has a closer look. Kids leaving home for the first time need to be prepared for college, and these calves need to be prepared for the next stage in their lives for maximum performance. Calves transitioning off the farm should be on a good preconditioning program, and all procedures should be performed while the calf is still nursing to decrease stress. Calves that require dehorning should be dehorned the first few days of life before the horn bud attaches to decrease pain and stress. It is important for all vaccinations to be given while the calf is still nursing, as the calf will respond better to the vaccines. Stress calves that are removed from the mother and then vaccinated have decreased immunity due to stress and may not respond to the vaccines. Deworming should also be performed while the calves are nursing, as should castration. Calves will bounce back a lot quicker after castration if they are still nursing the mother versus being castrated, vaccinated, dewormed, and then immediately removed from the mother and shipped. The other concern is nutrition. If we take a calf off the mother and ship to a feedlot, they are not going to be familiar with eating grain or even drinking out of a trough. These calves can dehydrate and will not eat well, which also lowers their immunity and increases the chance of infection. So if you have calves on a pasture, creep feeding small amounts of grain and providing water troughs for drinking versus stock tanks helps these calves transition to the next life stage and should demand a higher price for the producer when selling. If you have any topics you would like me to discuss on Texas Vet News, contact me at texvet at txfb.org. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Just how did a deer with chronic wasting disease end up in Lubbock County? Jessica Domo looks for answers in today's wildlife report. There are currently five established chronic wasting disease quarantine or surveillance zones in Texas. There's one in the Northwest Panhandle, another in South Central Texas, one in Kimball County, another around Del Rio, and one in the Trans-Pecos region. And the discovery of a case of CWD in the Lubbock area may mean another. But how did a deer with a fatal neurological disease end up so far away from the established zones? That's what the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and the Texas Animal Health Commission are working to discover. While it's somewhat unexpected, the movements of mule deer and elk especially throughout those drainages of the panhandle can be quite extensive. That's one thing that makes containment of this disease pretty difficult. That's Mitch Lockwood. He is the Big Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. 
We have had some situations where it was quite apparent that CWD was spread through the movement of live deer in a trailer. We also have some situations where it's quite obvious that the deer walked in naturally across the border from another state where the disease is already established. We also have a situation in the state where it appears at this time that it may have been introduced through discarding infected carcass parts of hunter harvested deer into someone's backyard and the free-ranging deer population had access to those prions that were discarded. And so we've learned about different sources of this disease where it occurs in different parts of this state. And we really don't have a lead on this one at this time, but we're going to have a pretty thorough investigation to see if we can learn more about that. That was Mitch Lockwood from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We wrapped up the week mostly higher in the cattle complex on Friday, and we finally saw a turnaround in the cotton market. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a higher close in the cattle complex on Friday. April live cattle up 47 cents, 119.02. The June up a dollar two, 118 even. August live cattle up 85, ending the week at 117.07. Feeder cattle higher on all except the nearby March. It was down 50 cents, 134.60. April feeders up a nickel, 139.02. The May up 250. 145.15. Cash fed cattle market was steady last week. For five weeks in a row now, packers have been able to hold the market steady at 114 on a live basis, 180 dressed. Boxed beef prices lower on Friday, choice down 75 cents at 233.13, select down 95 at 220.73. Let's check the auction barns now. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. We talked to Chris Carter of the Carnes County Livestock Exchange down Kennedy Way. Chris had a light run to close out the month of February, but reported the market was steady to stronger after being off a week from the winter break. Last week, we closed out February with a run of 386 head of cattle, with the market steady to stronger and definitely stronger on the packers. Number one steers, two to three weight, 141 to 175. Three and four is 137 to 171. Four and five weights, 143 to 165. Five and six is 125 to 152. Six and sevens, 119 to 127. Seven and eight weights, 114 to a buck and a quarter. On the heifers, two to three weight, 145 to 157.50. Three and four is 126 to 152.50. Four and five weights, 126 to 142. Five and six is 114 to 131. Six and sevens, 104 to 119. And the seven and eight weights, 98 to $1.06. We had 12 packer bulls last week. High yielding was 79 up to 82. 
uh, medium 72 to 75, and the low end 58 to 64. We had 83 packer cows, high yielding 65 up to 70, medium 53 up to 60, and the low end 29 to 34. We had four bred cows. The better ones brought 800 to 910, and the plainer ones 650 to 750. Five paired. The better end brought from 1,000 to 1,060, and the plainer ones 800 to 9 and a quarter. Chris Carter, Carnes County Livestock Exchange down Kennedy Way. Give us your contact information, Chris. If you've got any questions or need of any of our services, please call Wayne and Rouse at 361-542-0810 or myself at 210-286-5345. We thank you for joining us today for Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, J.R. Gully for Larry Marble. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs close mixed. April hogs down 12 at 87.17. The May up 7, 89.47. Class 3 milk was mixed. Also, March milk up 6 cents, 16.28. The April down 3 at 17.66 a hundredweight. The cotton market finally was able to manage a higher close on Friday. The cotton market has really taken a beating over the past week or so. Ever since that last Thursday in February and prices tanked, we've seen nothing but bearish activity throughout the last several trading sessions. However, most analysts seem to believe this is just a correction and we will resume the bullish uptrend in the cotton market very soon. We closed on Friday with May cotton up 62 points, 87.76 July cotton up 54, 88.67. New crop December cotton up 54 at 84.54. The wheat market has been in a sideways pattern for about six weeks now. Traders seeming to wait and see how things settle out regarding the weather. We've had very dry conditions across the western U.S. plains this winter. And, of course, we can't ignore the bitter cold temperatures we had everywhere during February. Also, looming drought continues to be in the back of their mind. So we're going to wait and see how things shape out as far as the development of this wheat crop moving into spring. July, Kansas City wheat up five and a half, closing at 631 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up two and a quarter, 643 and a quarter. The corn market strongly higher on the old crop March. It was up 15 and three quarters, 562 a bushel. September corn up seven and a quarter, 499. December corn up six at 481 and a half. In the energy markets, April natural gas down four cents at 270. April crude oil up 238 at 6621 a barrel. The financial markets higher on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 581 points, 31,505. The Nasdaq up 202 at 12,925. The S&P 500 up 75 points at 3,844. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.